What's been the best part of being a podcaster for you? The learning. It's it, it's that part is so fulfilling. Do you feel more comfortable now? Was telling someone last night because they were asking me who the next guest was, and I told them your story, and I said, you know what the most comfortable thing about tomorrow is? He's way better than me. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you're. But yeah, no, I mean, I would say that the last episode I felt comfortable. Yeah. So that was 14. Yeah. There's some. Um, you're really good, man. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not just saying that. I mean, I was I crack up driving around. I'm gonna talk about it on the show. All right, well, let's go. Cool. Let me cut my phone off. Be present. That's right. Let's do it. Straight to you from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Welcome to Permit to Think. Meaningful stories and conversations from the fringe of societal norms. I am your host, Mike Dawes. As a professional fisherman and host, I've spent the last 25 years traveling the far and near reaches of the world. In the beginning, the goal was untouched adventures and wild fish. But I have come to realize that the people I've met along the way and their stories have played a pivotal role in seeking what I'm truly after, a quiet mind and some time to think. This ride is too short, so I'm going to start exploring the narratives of the people that have brought me here. I have been told that audio has no rules, so it seems like a good platform for someone who grew up breaking them all. Let's go. Our guest today is Iron Mike Stedman, and talk about people that have brought me here. Mike literally walked me right into this podcasting chair. Iron Mike has so many things going on, it's challenging to write his intro, but here we go. This could take a little while. Iron Mike is the CEO and founder of Ironbound Media, a veteran-owned media company that creates distributes, and grows podcast series for brands and organizations. Mike is the CEO and founder of Ironbound Boxing, a free boxing academy for inner-city youth and adults located in Newark, New Jersey. Mike is also the host, the host of multiple podcasts, Dog Whistle Branding, Confessions of a Native Son, and The Transition. Additionally, he is a Hoover Veteran Fellow at Stanford University, a public policy think tank promoting the principles of indiv individual, economic, and political freedom. He is also the author of a new book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, which will be released fall 2022. Mike is an advisor and brand strategist for Dope Coffee, a specialty coffee company based in Atlanta, Georgia, that is on a mission to show the world that premium coffee and black culture can go hand in hand. He has been a consultant for multiple corporations, including WeWork, Spotify, and Etsy. He is also a member of the Lion's Pride, a cohort with a mission to powerfully and positively impact veteran-founded CEOs and small business CEOs, which is actually located right here in the Tetons. Mike grew up in Tyler, Texas, and then went on to attend the United States Naval Academy. Mike was a three-time national collegiate boxing champion. 
After the Naval Academy, Mike served as a Marine Corps infantry officer with deployments to Afghanistan, Japan, and the Philippines. Thank you for your service. Mike's dedication to community and his corporate partners is, un is an unwavering reflection of his military background. A champion for community, entrepreneurship, social impact, and economic development. Mike has established himself as a high-profile, relentlessly vocal advocate for veterans and opportunity youth. I first met Mike when I decided to start this podcast through a mutual friend of ours, Mark Fisher of Fisher Creative, who we will eventually get on the show, and is also a member of the Lions Pride. It was an idea at the time when we first talked on the phone about a year ago, and now here we are. Mike is the producer of this show, and it is an honor to be able to sit down and spend some time with him today. We have yet to fish together, but we will, and I look forward to it. Mike currently resides in Newark, New Jersey, with his girlfriend, Simone. Without further ado, please welcome Iron Mike Stedman to the show. What's up, Mike? Mike Dawes, that was the probably uh <laughs> most humbling introduction i've ever had it's an honor to be here thank you for having me this place is super impressive this is like this is like close to joe rogan style studio <laughs> i mean you took it and ran with it talk about throwing somebody to football you you were off to the races i remember talking to you when i was looking at the studs in here yeah and i said someday it'll someday it'll happen um iron mike I got to ask first, that it has to be a boxing. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of things. One, obviously, it's a head nod to Mike Tyson. Yeah. The other thing was my organization is Ironbound Boxing. Yeah. You know, I launched Ironbound Media. And to be quite frank, I started calling myself Iron Mike because I was at a low point in life when the pandemic hit. My gym closed down. I had to start a new business. And I just had to remind myself, like, I'm a Naval Academy grad. Yeah. You know, I'm a three-time national <laughs> champ. I'm freaking Iron Mike. Let's go. <laughs> So it didn't happen. It wasn't your your call uh, when you were boxing in school. I mean, sometimes they would go, let's go, Iron Mike. But it was okay. never anything that just kind of stuck on. But it's yeah. like Muhammad Ali. Like nobody believed I was the greatest until I said I was. And so yeah. during the pandemic, I just start introducing myself as Iron Mike. And now people call me Iron Mike. Oh, I love it. I love it. I was um, thinking, obviously, I mean, I think that's one of the beauties. I don't know how I got to the point of taking so much time to write people's intros, but I love it now because I learned so much. And I was thinking as I was writing yours that I've got to be your worst client because uh, <laughs> my, my stubborn kind of slow roll approach to this whole thing has got to, uh, has got to be frustrating, but I, I wanted to thank you for your patience. Man, Mike, I was thinking as I was coming over here, I want to thank you. When I started Ironbound Media, I think you were like my third client and you took a chance on me. You know, I was still figuring stuff out. Like, I sent you that gear. I had to jump on, watch some videos, do yep. some research. But, man, it's been super um, impressive to see where you've been able to take this platform. And, you know, when I think about, you know, small business owners, entrepreneurship, it's really about having people believe in you. It's a relationship business. And so I've never been like, oh, man, Mike Dahl is a terrible client. You're actually one of our favorite <laughs> podcasts. Uh, CJ, the audio engineer, oh, you're yeah. her favorite podcast. She's awesome. Um, so we have nothing but love for you, man. I'm just so happy to see you succeeding. Well, thank you. Thank you. And it was interesting because um, Cameron was asking me some questions. And even though he's a young buck, he's uh, he's 
10 times smarter than I am, but he, uh, I told him right when I read, before we got on the phone, I think I read the part about you leaving the Marine Corps, not knowing anyone and moving to Newark. And I was like, that, that had me because half the time here, right. We're talking about how to, how did people make the jump to get out here? Right. Um, and that, that's almost a, a bigger jump. Um, are you out here for the Lions Pride right now? We're on vacation? Or I am. I was out here for the Lions Pride. And uh, it was such a pain to get out here with the airport being oh. closed. Um, and oh. I had a lot of conflicting um, obligations. But I'm like, man, I love coming out here for a couple of reasons. One, the Lions Pride is out here. And this is the one space where I know we'll all be together. Because mm-hmm. other times we're remote and we got people from all over the country. And the other thing, to be quite frank, is hanging out with you guys. Yeah. You, Mark Fisher, my boy Jim Schultz. Uh, Stephan Abrams. I know a lot of locals um, yeah. in this area, and so I love being able to come out here and uh, hang out. And so, since it was such a pain to get out here, I was like, "Oh, I'll just extend my trip." And everyone is so nice out here. I mean, I remember <laughs> when I first came out, you were like, "Mike, you can take my truck, drive it around." <laughs> I you left know, it in town. Left it in like- town for me. <laughs> you know, we're still getting used to each other, getting to know each other. But I was like, "Man, that's really nice." Then Mark Fisher, he was like, "Mike, you can stay at my house. Just leaves it open." <laughs> And then last night... You're, you're probably like, where, where the fuck are the keys? Yeah, and last night I go to a restaurant, Amerasia, out yeah. in, uh, yeah, in, in Victor. Victor. Yeah. And I'm just eating by myself, just kind of listening on my iPod. and Because uh, I listen to audiobooks or podcasts when I'm eating by myself. And this couple behind me was like, hey man, you want to come eat with us? Really? Yeah, and I was like, sure. So I put my eye and we just kind of fellowshiped and had a great dinner, drank some beers. And so everyone is just super nice. And the thing... That has me thinking a lot about this area. I was super self-conscious when I first came out well, here. Well, that I was one of my, be one of my questions <laughs> for you, right? Because we're not the most diverse. Right. I mean. I got on the airplane the first time out here. I was like the only <laughs> black person on the airplane. Uh, and this was, you know, I've been out here eight times, about eight times since then. But I remember being self-conscious. And then the first time I ever went skiing was at uh, Grand Targhee. Yeah. And again, I've never skied before in my life, right? And I'm like riding the magic carpet. Here I am, this like 230 pound black dude, you know, looking, <laughs> you know, like I have no idea what's going on. And I'm like busting my ass coming down slope. And I'm just very self conscious about it. Like people look at me. Everyone's so nice. They're all like, oh, we've been there before, man. Yeah. That's where everyone starts. So I just think it's interesting the perception people have about people without actually getting to talk to them or actually giving them a chance. Yeah. And. And uh, both ways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, coming into a new area or being um, someone that lives here, what you know, looking at what the people might think that are coming in. Yeah, I always, um, you just never judge a book by its cover. Even the other night, me and uh, Mark Fisher were at Naughty Pine. Yeah. Just uh, grabbing some drinks. And this guy sits next to Mark and he's like jacked. You know, yeah. he's got tattoos all <laughs> yeah. over him. I mean, he looks like a bouncer, right? Yeah. And he just sits down, looks super intense. And then me and Mark were talking about something, and then he jumped in just kind of kindly. And it's like the nicest guy yeah. ever. <laughs> so, again, I'm just like, yeah, you know what, man? Just don't judge people. Like, yeah. you know, give people a chance. It's a good lesson. It's, it's a, a great, great lesson. lesson. And, you know, it's, it's also another lesson because, you know, I, I, there's been a lot of, lot of talk about traffic here recently. Really? Um, and it's everywhere. And then, I, you know, as I'm writing this, I'm like, I, you know, wonder – Wonder what people would say if they were in Newark about the traffic, right? Traffic in terms of like cars and everything. Yeah, there's just there there everyone's the multiple complaints are how I mean Yeah. You, you hear it daily here. 
Right. Um, but on the scheme of things, maybe maybe relative to what it once was, but on the scheme of things, right? It's still there's there's no traffic. I mean, yeah, well, I mean it was a little bottlenecking, but not yeah. like definitely not like in New York. <laughs> yeah, in New York. Exactly. Like I don't even want to drive my car. Like I just. You know, I have a car, but like for the most part, I try to avoid driving as much as I can. I try to walk everywhere. Yeah. And that's uh, that's what I was saying. Like when I was delivering these water bottles, like it was pretty cool to do it on an e-bike. And that was another amazing thing, right? Like if you instead of complain about it, get on a bike. Do you think your listeners know how much you take pride in your podcast? Like it wasn't just a fire and go. I mean, I think you and I planned this show for like a year before we released it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they know. But yeah, you're super specific. You like your intros. <laughs> um, you know, everything is important to you, I think, because a podcast is just it's very intimate, right? Like it's you're inviting people into your life and your thoughts. And it's like it's very hard sometimes to get it all out. Yeah. And I kind of view myself as being like a tattoo artist. Right. Like the guy walks into the tattoo parlor and it's like, I want a flower yeah. with a dragon. And then I was in the military, so I need my unit there. And I'm like, let's just start by like, you know, this, let me ask you a series of questions. And we start to get it out. Yeah. And I think over the time, it's just cool to see it come into fruition. Like, again, I, I didn't know how interesting you were, right? <laughs> I don't think I am. So I've been like putting the pieces together. So like your episode with Brian Matthews like the venture capitalists and stuff. I'm like, yeah. how the hell does Mike know all these interesting <laughs> people? And then you think about it, right? Like this career you've built for yourself, fly fishing, you've been kind of a, a jump start for a lot of people. You've really just incubated a lot of talent. So you have a lot of young guys that came out to this area or in between things, did fly fishing with you or went on a trip with you and they've gone off to do kind of great things, but you were still there as kind of like, a launch pad in the early days, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's been, that's been the most fulfilling part of this, right? Is like, you can, well, I mean, you're the one who taught me that, right? I mean, you, you can do whatever the hell you want. Whatever you want. So that's kind of what I've been doing. But in terms of that, that's been really fulfilling to be able to, to retap. So what have you done since we saw each other, you know, 15 years ago and, and get those stories. And there's a lot of lessons in there, um, which is great. And while we haven't fished together yet, we will, but you did get fish, you did fish out here. And I think I it did. was literally a year ago today. That's right. I went to uh, Yellowstone. I did one of those tours out there. First of all, y'all have amazing tour, tour guides out here. Yeah, you know, they, they you, take pride in it. You take pride in it. You know, um, you do have to pay, you know, a good price. <laughs> but the thing I will say is like, when I think about the trip to Yellowstone, having sandwiches, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. Like, it was very fun. You know, the guides become, like, part of your crew. Yeah. And what what was your, um, you know, as someone that had never done it before, what, what, what did the endeavor, what were your takeaways from it? I mean. Um, I think having guides, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but the actual fly fishing part of it. Oh, it was just relaxing. It was super peaceful. Was it? Yeah, it was real peaceful. Um, and I don't even, you know, so much has happened since between this yeah. year and that. that then. I'm like trying to, to, to go back. But uh, really for me, it was about the fellowship too. So, you know, the thing with my coaching group, the Lions Pride, it's like, you know, this is what makes what we do special because we actually spend time with each other. It's not like you go out somewhere, wear a bunch of, you know, blazers and name tags and walk around. It's like we're going out in the woods. Yeah. We're hiking. We're fishing. And again, I'm not a fly fisherman or anything like that, but it's exposing myself to things that I normally wouldn't do. And that's the key, right? Yeah. I mean, 
I've been doing that quite a bit, and one of them's been hunting, and, and I, I mean, it was a colossal failure last year, but I learned through that failure, I learned so much, and I think you can take that to all aspects of life, at least I can. Yeah. Um, well, let's, um, let's talk, oh, one thing I did want to ask you, do you think um, the Lion's Pride would be a good fit for me? Absolutely. And is it, because I, I didn't get, I mean, I looked through it. Pretty extensively yesterday, I heard, uh, listened to parts, which was very cool, of you and Bill Watkins, and then you did, I think they were, they were not the same thing on Dog Whistle, your podcast, Dog Whistle Branding, you did him, and then he's got something on his website of an interview with you. Correct. Okay. So, uh, but no, Bill's a, a co-host of Dog Whistle Branding, so he's going to be coming on a lot more. Okay. Um, and we're going to be doing some coaching on there, too. But the qualifications, like, do I need to be, I mean, does this constitute a small business? This constitutes a small business. Okay. You know, um, the big thing about the Lions Pride is people that are not afraid to do the work. Yep. You know, and that's the thing of like, oh, we, we, ha- we all want these grand ambitions for our lives and our businesses. But, you know, they don't just magically happen. Yep. And that's the thing I'm learning the older I get. It's like the people that create the future. Versus those that just kind of stumble into it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say, like, I never knew I was going to be a podcast producer. Yeah. Um, just like you never knew you would have a show permit to think we made this happen. We followed a series of steps, right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it took some time, but, like, yeah, here we are. And so that's the power of having these kind of groups and having coaches because – you know, it took us a year. Imagine how long it would have taken you if it was by yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I'd still be working on the logo. Right. We'd still be, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, that's the power of coaching. I tell every entrepreneur I know, get a business coach. Yeah. It's a game changer. You invest in it and you make it. You know, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday about um, one of my boxers back in Newark, right? Because mm-hmm. he's big on the Instagram thing. Everybody wants to have followers and yeah. all this other stuff. I was like, Keith, I'm going to put you on some game. They're, the key to creating wealth in this country is creating value and capturing a lot of that value as well. Yeah. So you think about it, right? Like leverage, right? He said, oh, well, having followers is leverage. No, let me tell you what leverage is. Somebody's making half a million dollars a year and you help them make $2 million a year and you take <laughs> home 400 of that, yeah. right? Like that's real leverage, that kind of knowledge. But like that stuff we don't, we don't know, right? Yeah. And so now that's kind of where I'm at. It's less about like, being famous and having followers and all this other stuff. It's like, how do I create value for people? How do I create impact? And as long as I capture a little of it so I'm able to do the things that I'm passionate about, that's really what makes me happy. And that might be, it's interesting you say that, that might be like my aversion to social media, even though I know it's not going anywhere, right? I mean, we, we all have to partake, but at the same time, there there is a mild unauthenticity about it that's, because it isn't, it's it's more at times it's more ego than value to me right um but it it is here and it's here to stay um but it's interesting because it's it's going to be changing as well it already has i mean i think the ios thing has the privacy stuff has changed that it's just so loud it's so in your face and i notice when i'm out here i feel unplugged from the world i feel like the sense of quietness yeah and i think that's what the benefit of coming to places like this you know and again it's like even if I'm standing on the mountain, at, we we, did, we hiked up Bear Creek. Oh, nice. No photos give that justice. No. You know, so no. I don't even pull out my photo and take, I'm just, I just want to take it in. Yeah, you know? and you can't smell it. You can't taste it. Yeah. You can't really describe what your eyes see, you know, via some other vehicle. Right. I mean, you got to be there. Um, 
Well, let's um, let's transition while while we explore your narrative a little bit here into your podcasts, um, because there's three of them, which is amazing. Because I uh, <laughs> I struggle to do one every couple of weeks, but so you have dog whistle branding, the transition, and confessions of a native son, um, and let's talk about those real briefly. Yeah. So Dog Whistle Branding is an extension of Ironbound Media, right? Correct. Okay. And then the transition is an extension of... Ironbound Media and uh, Bunker Labs. Okay. So one of my first clients, I came up with this idea to start a production company when I was hosting my first show, um, Confessions of a Native Son. Yep. And the pandemic hit, and yeah. I started thinking of new business models. And I said, hey, would someone pay me to do what I do except for them? And, you know, I'm very entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurship is really my passion in addition to boxing. And so I pitched Bunker Labs on the idea of a show. And uh, Bunker Labs is a national network of veteran military spouse uh, entrepreneurs uh, cultivating the military-connected community to start and grow businesses. And I came up through that ecosystem. Hmm. So uh, Ironbound Boxing had like $300 in a bank account when I connected with Bunker Labs. And so they've been a part of my entrepreneurial journey throughout and so uh, I approached them about producing a show for them, got the thumbs up, and I just hosted it myself because I was really passionate about the content. So that's why I host The Transition. And that's for veterans? Yeah, veteran tra- entrepreneurs and military spouses. Yeah. And Bunker Labs is located where? It's a national nonprofit. So okay. it was initially headquartered in Chicago, uh, but it's also headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee, too. Um, and so, yeah, we're all over, all 50 states. You know, um, really just kind of bringing the community together because a lot of veterans transition out of the military and not everyone is going to go to business school and have that, you know, cool kind of yeah. startup entrepreneurial thing. Yeah. That ecosystem. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we do. We bring them together um, and we provide programming and educational opportunities. That's and cool. so my job is really to be, you know, the voice of the community. So I find SMEs to come on this podcast. I highlight entrepreneurs on the podcast. I do solo content to help people out, you know, as they're starting to go from zero to one. Sure. Um, and so I'm just blessed that, you know, Bunker Labs kind of gives me this platform. That's awesome. And then Confessions of a Native Son is your kind of little more personal or? Yeah, it's my personal podcast. Yeah. You know what I'll tell you? I started that podcast because I had a lot to get off my chest. Yeah. You know, um, I feel like uh, in the media, especially when you start talking about racial issues or social issues or whatever, I felt like I didn't have a voice. I felt like there wasn't space, right? I never saw the perspective of like a black veteran, you know, when like uh, a George Floyd happened, but even before that, on a Michael Brown or, you know, how do we see the world? How do we see the landscape? And I think um, for the most part, you know, there's always been like these gatekeepers, mm-hmm. you know? And so I saw an opportunity to, um, you know, create a platform for me to share my perspectives on race, culture, and business. And what's interesting about that show is I started that show in February of 2020, right before the pandemic. I was still in the early days of like my entrepreneurial journey. Now, granted, I started Ironbound Boxing like 20, 2016, yep. but like there was no money in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a nonprofit, <laughs> right? And then on the for-profit side of the house, I was like fledgling, you yeah. know, because I was teaching boxing, like you said, at Spotify and all these places. But then the pandemic hit. They no longer had use for me on site. So... I was in a different space than I am now, mm-hmm. and that's the hardest part about the show because in the show, I had a lot of anger, things I wanted to get off my chest that I just never got to say, but now I'm like, 
a lot's happened in like the last like two years, you know? Yeah. And my mentalities are different. And I like I try to focus on more positive things. Yeah. Then let myself get caught up on, you know, a lot of negative things about race and, and culture. Yeah, and I I must say I I um it was extremely interesting to me to listen to the one you did at the end last week of May, Break the Chains. Yeah. And that was, uh, I, I will say this, the fact that you've captured that throughout time, I would say is arguably way more impactful than just a fresh set, like coming into it as you are now, because it does show the change and the growth and I don't know. I, I, I thought that was an, an amazing... Uh, I wrote a review for you. I appreciate this morning. it. I mean, it, it, it was very uplifting. You know, I mean, when you were, you, you were going back historically talking about, like, where you are now, and then, like, you used airplanes as an example. And yeah. you were like, it's trippy. I mean, I, you said the first time you were on an airplane was to go to Annapolis. And now you're flying, you're, you're zipping across the country going to Stanford. And I mean, it's kind of wild. Yeah. And what Mike's talking about in that episode, I talk about this idea of it kind of hits you that you are no longer the person you were before or that fact that you've lived a life. Let me, let me I'll put this in perspective. This is why I like podcasting because it forces you to think and articulate your thoughts. Yeah. Part of me still feels like that black kid that grew up in Texas in a single parent home without a lot of money. You know, chip on my shoulder, no confidence, et cetera. But for the last, I don't know, like, damn, 17 years or so, yeah. I've been a Naval naval Academy, <laughs> Marine Infantry Officer, Boxing entrepreneur. champion. Yeah, I got all this pedigree and stuff. And so part of it is like these chains that kind of hold you down, you know, this identity. And it's trippy because now you're starting to, you've just lived a different life, you know? Like, yeah. I go to freaking Whole Foods. There's a Whole Foods in my building, Yeah, you know? Um, I fly to Jackson Hole like yeah. eight times, like you know. So I have this whole lifestyle that I I have now, but part of me is still holding on to the identity I had when I was younger. Yeah, and that's why it was so uh, probably resonated with me so much because I I deal with the same thing in a different capacity. But what's wildly interesting to me is, you know, here I am as a parent, and this is the time where that's where these moments are so sticky. And so to have that, like as in, you know, in my brain circulating while I'm dealing with my children is very helpful. Um, personally, it's the same thing. I mean, I was a complete fuck up <laughs> when I was younger. I mean, yeah. literally, right? I mean, I was hit, tried to hitchhike across the country. I tried to get a fake ID just so I could get a job. Um, and that was... 30 years ago but it's still with me yeah it's still here you so still carry it. it the stickiness of that is is uh is what your you know your confession kind of brought about which i was like wow that's such an interesting point because i still talk about being a fuck up even though we're right? in your podcast studio yeah <laughs> <laughs> You're like, people are like, what are you talking? First of all, I bring up your name. I'm like, uh, every time somebody tells me they're a fly fisherman, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I know a guy named Mike Dawes. They're like, Mike Dawes? You know Mike Dawes? He's a legend. You know? Heard about you in the Maldives and everywhere else. And so that's the trippy part about is like, I don't know if you do meditation and things. I do. But it's this idea of like separating, you know, yourself and the mind and yeah. it's just a thought. 
no matter what happens, I can be working at McDonald's. People are still going to be like, Mike Stepp is a Naval Academy grad, Rutgers alumni, yeah. you know, Hoover veteran fellow at Stanford, entrepreneur. Like, I've done all these things, and for me, it's like, it almost comes like that responsibility, too, that like, and this is where I was saying on about the podcast of like, I always push back when people were like, pick yourself up by your bootstrap. You can be anything you want to be, and da 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 and you, it's like, oh, it's easy for you to say, you know, Mr. Living in a mansion or have parents with money and all this other stuff. Yeah. Here in the real world, we got to claw tooth and nail. But now you have the pedigree a lot of them didn't even have. Yeah. And so they're like, what are your excuses? You know what I mean? So for me, yeah. it feels disingenuous. Like, what do I, what can I say? Yeah. You know, it, and that, that responsibility that like, man, if you're not somewhere where you want to be in life, it's on you. And then you start tripping and you're like, has it always been on me? <laughs> You know what exactly, <laughs> right? And so yeah. then you start wondering, like, damn, how far could I have gone with that mentality before? Yeah, you know. And so that podcast is hard for me because one, the way I started the show versus where I'm at now is a little different. And the second thing is, like, you know, these solo shows—they're hard. Yeah, I don't because I haven't done one yet. <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, you haven't done a solo? No, one? but I—I'm I, going. I mean, after again listening to a couple of those, I listened to the one as well. Yeah. Right before we'll get to this, but right before you started writing your book, mm. and then I checked the dates, and I was like, "Oh, there he goes. He was—he was gone. Gone off the grid. <laughs> off the grid." But um, I haven't done a solo show yet. Yeah, it's hard, man, because you're like—I mean, you're talking into the void. You're yeah. like. <laughs> You're naked, basically. Yeah. You know? And so not trying to sound stupid and being self-conscious and explaining your thoughts. And it's just being creative. I think the other aspect of this, too, is that in this world where we're so connected, dude, you cannot do creative work in between, like, 30-minute Zoom calls and whatever yeah. else, you know? So part of me feels like my mind's got to be clear so I can articulate in the right way. But the other half of me is like, should I just show up to the mic and record every day for, like, 30 days until I, like, nail it? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too. I mean, it's taking me very long to figure out when my mind is clear. And for me, it's, you know, at 530 in the morning. Yeah. And that's, that's right. it. That's it. I mean, then it, then it just starts getting, it's like a kid growing up. You know, the, the interesting part about that is, you know, negative thoughts are very sticky. And that's something I wrote down. Like, I, I don't, I would like to know more about that, you know, on a medical or scientific front, if you will. But what's interesting is... In, in the world of permit fishing, which is probably my number one passion, you, you're, you're set up for failure, right? right. So you, you got to go into it. You, you, need to be, you need to be fulfilled with controlling what you can control, and it has nothing to do with the result because there's a very good chance you're not going to catch anything if you went on a six-day trip. Um, now, that changes the more you do it, but in the beginning, that's a reality, Weather can happen, all of it. But the biggest lesson in it is when you screw up, if you hold on to that, you will screw the next one up. And so it becomes this short memory game where in a matter of seconds, you have to, you have to be like, wow, I really just right. fucked that up. And then you have to be like, all right, my next one is going to be absolutely perfect. And that's got to go out the window. Um, and it's funny because I always relate that to life. I mean, for me, it's a good, you know, I always say that fly fishing is life and fast forward. And it's like, you know, we're not trying to sound all woo-woo here of like, oh, think positive <laughs> thoughts. But you start asking yourself really like, what's the alternative? Exactly. You know? Complain? Complain. What does that do? Right? And so that's what I was talking about on my podcast too about like, if I read a kid in Newark 
that grows up in the projects, has no money, you know, parents, God knows what, right? Do I tell him his life is screwed? You yep. know, yeah, do you really tell him helpful. that like, oh, you know, the odds are against you? Or do you say, you know what, man, you can be what you want to be. Yeah. Right. Like now that's not to say that he's going to guarantee to succeed. But I, I related to that, that like there's always that percent chance, you know, like the guys that try to go to the NFL or mm-hmm. become a professional athlete. But it's like, what's the alternative? There's just like there's no positive outcome other than I mean, I'm not saying like don't tell them the reality. Yeah. Right? You got to be able to accept the reality of like, hey, and I think Jim Collins talks about it. The Stockdale paradox, this idea that you got to accept the reality for what it is, but that things are going to be OK in the end. Yeah. Right. That doesn't mean they're going to look exactly like you think. You just have to trust that things will work themselves out in the end. But that yeah. doesn't mean being naive and not accepting what's going on. And I think he talks about, you know, prisoners of war, Stockdale. Yeah. It also equates back to like man's search for meaning. Yeah. Finkel. You know, Victor yeah. Frankl. When Frankl. He was, Sorry. When he was no, talking Frankl. about how. A lot of the 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 prisoners in Auschwitz oh, yeah. thought they were going to be home by Christmas, and when it didn't happen, they just died. Yeah, and it was also interesting, like when he was, he said he could tell by their physical right demeanor, right? Like, and they could, you could definitely tell when they had one smoke left, right? And they lit it. He's like, oh, they're they're done. So, I mean, I, you know, I think it goes back to effort and attitude too. I mean, I think those are. I mean, if you have a bad attitude, what's it doing for anyone? I mean, do you ever think, right? All these old sayings we heard back in the day, you know, early yeah, to bed, yeah, early they're all, they're all true. They're all true, man. <laughs> You're like, damn, man, this is what's wrong with my life. Early to bed, early to rise leads to something happy, healthy, and wise yeah, or something. Nothing good happens after midnight. No, exactly. Yeah. Like these people have told us these parables for like hundreds of years and yeah. we just like laugh them off. But literally, the human experience has been documented over and over and over again. We just have to like listen and apply. And the same thing is true, by the way, about children. Really? So, oh, yeah. Everything <laughs> that anybody has ever told me happened. And I was like, God damn it. Why can't one thing just be not true about this? But um, let's let's transition into because the the Hoover Fellow. Hoover Veteran Fellowship. Hoover Veteran Fellowship at Stanford when did that come about? Because I don't, I don't think you and I have talked about that. So it came about in October. Okay, so somewhat recent. Yeah, and I wasn't going to apply at first because I thought Stanford was this like far right, conservative, God knows what. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times when you're a black veteran, people want to throw you on a television screen and think you're just going to, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we have a saying called the token black guy, right? That's, yeah. they, they love it. The media loves it. So I didn't have any interest in that. Um, and I didn't know much about the uh, Hoover Institution. And uh, it's a public policy think tank. They're mainly known for economic policy, national and international, um, as well as national security, foreign policy, stuff, et cetera. And so, you know, it's all about relationships. I had a friend who's uh, who had a friend that worked at the Hoover Institution. And when she found out I wasn't applying, you know, she was like, Mike, you better apply. And so I went ahead and applied. Glad I did because it would have been a Bush League move yeah, not to. Absolutely. And it goes back to what we were talking about. You talk yourself out of greatness. You talk yourself out of opportunities because these perceptions that you have. And what was cool for me was, you know, I'm a black guy. And the first time I went to, I had a, did another program at Stanford. And I had a Mohawk fade at the time, yep. right? <laughs> and all my black friends were like, Mike, cut your hair. Yeah. Do not go out to Stanford to this entrepreneurship program with a Mohawk fade, you know? <laughs> And so I ended up cutting my hair 
And I always felt guilty about it, right? Yeah. And that was a great program, but I felt like I wasn't in my own skin, you know? This time, I was, like, adamant about showing up, being my full self. And I go participate in this program. And at the very first meeting, right, they have a name tag that says Iron Mike Stedman. Nice. And so I feel like they gave me agency, you know, because they were reaching out for, to me um, for who I was, right? That's why I yeah. came to the program. And so I just kind of took it and ran with it. And really what it is is because the Hoover Institution is known more for, you know, high-level national security, foreign policy stuff, et cetera, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the events that, take, that, take, that have taken place over the last two years internally in the country, between George Floyd, the Capitol, you know, yeah. all the, the freaking vaccine, all the divisiveness internally, yeah. I think it's a great opportunity for them to think about how can we expand our impact you know, and address, you know, issues internally mm -hmm. uh, in the country. And in my mind, I think they thought, well, let's reach out to 10 veterans all across the country working on different projects, everything from sex trafficking to the Afghan refugees to inner city youth. Let's pull them under the Hoover Institution umbrella. Right. And let's empower them to be change makers. And so I got picked for it, you know, for my work with Ironbound and our vision to build what we're calling the Ironbound Courage Academy which is a 5,000-square-foot boxing facility in the heart of downtown Newark. I want to co-locate like a co-working space with a badass boxing gym mm -hmm. and have it all under one roof. And so I've been flying back and forth to uh, Stanford to participate in that program. Um, we're going to meet with, I think, they're a large percentage of their board here in uh, October. Nice. The other thing is we're going to be going to Georgia here at the end of the year, the country of Georgia, on like a cultural immersion trip. Oh, wow. And so, you know, one thing I was thinking about when I was driving over here, too, I was like, I don't really like when people say I got a lot going on. I need to work on that. I need to work <laughs> on like just like I have like one or two things going on because stuff just starts stacking. And I got into that program after I'd already committed to writing a book. Yeah. And it's like already doing Ironbound Box, Ironbound Media, hosting shows. So, you know, one of the things I'm hoping that I am going to do over the next, you know, three to six months is really just set boundaries of myself yeah, and access to people and let stuff fall by the wayside that can, right? Yeah. Let stuff fall by the wayside. I just need to focus on like two or three things and be really good at them. Yeah. And that, um, so did they reach out to you? I mean, so, um, I was on a new email thread and a mentor of mine saw the opportunity cause the applications went out and they sent it to these, a group of Academy grads and one of my mentors forwarded it to me. And so, um, I kind of threw it in trash. Yep. <laughs> and then after my friend uh, said, you should apply, I went ahead and reapplied okay, and got cool. accepted. Yeah, it's funny because I know um, for me these days, it's it's because uh, I've been paying attention to it. I know I really should do something the more times it's reoccurring in my head to not do it. Right. <laughs> I was thinking about that <laughs> like, too. like even something as simple as working out, right? Yeah. It's like... Nah, I'm not going to have the time today. And then I think about it again. Yeah. And then I think about it again. I'm like, all right, God damn it. Like, I, I got to go do it. I did that yesterday. I went to Targi Athletics, got slayed, almost died. But <laughs> I'm probably going to go back today because we got to take care of ourselves. Yeah. No. And, and talk about the mind. I mean, that's to me, the that and, you know, meditation, all that stuff is I know it's it's got to be a core. Um, but I wasn't just me. I mean, Cameron. Cameron did his, you know, he he wants he wants to know who's coming on the show, and he was like, "Wow, I mean, how old is Mike? He's got a lot going on." <laughs> I don't like. I gotta get rid of that camera. I need y'all to help me get rid of that. 
<laughs> I just need to be known for one thing. I'm just curious. You know, that's the thing that fuels me. It's not necessarily money or anything like that. It's like, I don't know. I just. But it's admiration as yeah. why people are saying that. Right. Yeah. I mean, the next I've got, I want to talk to you about your book. And that's another thing. Right. Where it's I mean, how how do you find the time? And then I think I know, but I want to know more. Um but so yeah, let, let's go there. I mean, but I guess what I'm saying is that's coming from like respect. That's yeah. not coming from like you say you're gonna do things and you don't do them because it's the opposite. You just do a lot. Yeah, I think um, so. The book. Here's why I want to write the book, right? And I think it goes back to my curiosity. That's how I am. I'm like, man, I would really love to do a podcast. How do people do podcasts? And I start yeah. researching, and I launch my own podcast, and then you start reading books, and it's like basically anything. I spend a lot of time with myself. I get curious to know, you know, how people are able to do it. So I read a lot. So I'm like, how are people able to write these books? So I wanted my first book to actually be Confessions of a Native Son. Mm -hmm. That's the idea for Confessions of a Native Son was originally a book. And I thought it still could be right. I mean, you could take it all. It is. And the podcast was going to be a way for me to articulate my thoughts to make the writing the book easier. So then, you know, one thing in life, this is for everyone. When you're about to do something audacious and hard, make it easy. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm out of shape. I need to go to the gym, work out. Just go do five minutes and keep it moving. And then go do five minutes the next day and stuff, et cetera. So I'm like trying to write Confessions of a Native Son. And it's like, it's hard, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. like soul searching writing. And you know what was front of my mind? Entrepreneurship, black veteran entrepreneurship, which is a term I made up. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Let me make this first book easy. Let me write about entrepreneurship to an audience I'm intimately familiar with. And that I will get better and I'll go through the writing process and, you know, just get the first one out the gate. And I just wanted to make it easy for myself. And so that's why I was like, I will write a book towards black veteran entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And you told me a little bit about the program, yeah. which, is, which, is, which was wildly interesting. I mean, what was it called again? It's, it's called uh, the Creator Institute. And they have uh-huh. a program called B-School. And essentially what they teach you is uh, you publish a book. You know, so you do a cohort kind of book writing process, which I did not participate in very much. <laughs> I participated in the first half of it, yeah. but I was still, I was in too many cohorts and working and stuff. Um, but you crowdfund the book, right? They, sh- they give you all the tools and stuff. And then with the crowdfund, that allows you to publish it. And so they have a whole program to get you from like idea to publishing a book. And did so- does someone work along, like do you? Yeah, they work alongside you and stuff. I've been terrible. Like okay. I've been... <laughs> You've been you've been me of the podcast. Yeah, it's like hard because you get hit with so much input and the cognitive load yeah. um, is real. Um, but part of it is also having a deadline, you know, and them kind of cracking that whip is what forces you to kind of go. But it's been interesting. It's been ebbs and flows of the writing process. Like sometimes you're like, I'm feeling it. I'm good. I'm good. And other times you're like, I suck at life. I just don't want to, <laughs> you know, and that's where the working out comes in because yeah. you start to learn that like it really is like. It makes you feel better, you know? Absolutely. Writing is really about thinking, and that's the hard part. Because when you write, like you write your intros, you start thinking. And it starts, um, we always get self-conscious, like how we're going to come across and stuff like that. Yeah. And there's nothing magical about writing. Honestly, you just got to sit and write. Got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and were you, did you hit the deadline? I did. Very struggle, team struggle <laughs> bus, right? So, um the first deadline was, you know, the manual, the first draft manual. I hit that about 80%, but enough to move on to the next phase. Do the crowdfund. The crowdfund caught me off guard 
right? Because mm-hmm. it was like super stressful. I'm like, man, I'm going to come out with this book. What if I don't get it? Because, you, you know, I signed up. I was like, okay, I'm going to do the publishing, the hardcover, the paperback, and the, the, um, and the, the audio book. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm on the hook, right, yeah. for like $9,500 to get all this done. Yeah. And do I, am I worth like, people going to come out and support and buy my stuff? Man, I launched the crowdfund. We raised like $6,500 in like the first day. Yeah. And then within a week, we had already hit our goal of like 9500 yeah, and you're and, way past that. Yeah, we now. did like 13, and part of it was like, could we probably got more? Yeah, but like for me, I just, you know, I, there's abundance, right? Like I just didn't feel the need to like, you know, push to the next level. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was just yeah. like, thank y'all. I appreciate y'all. Like I'm not trying to like post every day for 30 days to try to get, you know, $20,000 in, sure. in money for my book. Yeah, it's um, and it's going to come out this fall, right? Yeah, October. Okay, cool. Um, well, again, I mean, I get respect, right? I mean, like that's I, I've tried. I got Stephen, you know, King's book on writing. Started yeah, I doing that. To that one. I started doing like a page a day, and then you know, that's one of the ones that just fell on the wayside. But what I did realize is this is a better fit for me right now. Right now, yeah, um, it's a great ease into it. And someday, maybe. Um, but that's amazing. I mean, and it's a cool, it sounds like a cool program. That's well. what I want to do. I just want to read, write, and podcast. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, that's, the, I want to be a professional think tank and just create ideas that impact people, scale them through content, um, because this is what I enjoy. I mean, I enjoy but, thinking. But I will say this, in, in all of the stuff you're doing, you're compounding that. This is true. Right? I mean, you are, you're, you're getting so much experience jam-packed that when you do sit down to just do that you're gonna have plenty of stuff yeah to do um you're the one that told me that audio has no no rules and i gotta say that was like one of the things where i was like wow no rules like that's i was very (laughs) proud of that that made me because you know when we go through these things when you start a business and you create core values and stuff right Mm mm-hmm when you're an entrepreneur, the last thing you want to do is create core values. You're like, I need money. What are you talking about? Yeah. Core values. <laughs> it's just me and my apartment by myself. But thanks to Bill and the Lions Pride, I learned that process. And so one of the core values, I was was like, there are no rules in audio. Yeah. And to hear you say it on a podcast, I was like, man, that's dope. You know? Yeah. Because that's what it is. It's not just about writing this stuff and having it on paper. It's about having a culture. And, you know, that was something I was just saying to myself was like, yeah, just because Joe Rogan's successful with his three-hour podcast doesn't mean, you know, I can't be successful or whatever. So sometimes I'm like, even when I'm not feeling the best, I still might put out an episode or like, you know what? I didn't make my release date. I'm going to release the episode when I feel like it. Yeah. And so those are the things I keep kind of telling myself because everybody tries to put all these rules in life. and But at the end of the day, right, like rules, are they were made out of thin air. Yeah. Somebody made these rules. And with audio... I still think we're scratching the surface. So I want people to have fun with it. Yeah. And one of the, and then obviously that, that hit home for me, right? Like, I mean, so much so I I haven't even talked to you about it, but even, even doing the previous shows, right? I'll start wherever the fuck I want to start because I'm like, there's no rules. So it's, it's always in my brain. Um, the mission statement for this show is meaningful stories and conversations from the fringe of societal norm. And and I'm transitioning here about into your move to Newark from the Marine Corps because I I do want to talk about that a little bit because that seems to me like 
that is a, you know, that is a fringe of societal norms, especially coming from the military. Right. Um, it seemed, it just seemed extremely courageous, which I can, everyone can see that direct line to the military from that. What is not is there, there wasn't much of a plan. No. <laughs> no. Dude, I remember, you know what, I'm, I'll tell you. I remember being in Newark, looking out the window, just after I moved there, and being like, did I fuck up my life? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you start making those decisions that, like, you really can't come back from. Yeah. No, you know? I know. I mean, I just, yeah. And for me, here's what it was, was I interned in Newark while I was at the Naval Academy for a few summers. Mm. Um, working with uh, young men of color at a private school called St. Benedict's Prep. Which uh, at the where t- you ended up teaching. Yeah, yeah. yeah which uh, I ran the residence hall there. And okay. at the time, it was an all-boys school. They've since transitioned to girls as well. But they reached out to the Naval Academy and said, hey, can you send us midshipmen of color to be role models and teach leadership to our kids? They take them out on a trail, the Appalachian Trail, for like a week as part of their culmination of freshman year. I did that program. And so in the back of my mind, I always was like, man, I really like helping young black men. I feel like it's a responsibility of mine, um, having not grown up without a father, being in the position I am. Um, I was wanted to have that give back. And so part of it was, too, of, you know, you go to a place like the Naval Academy and then being an officer, everyone gets out and they go to business school or they go work in corporate yeah. America and stuff. And for me, I was like, look, I did everything I was supposed to do as a black man, right? Went yeah. to good college, served my country nobly, was an officer in the military, right? I was like, I want to follow my passion, you know? And I felt like I had earned the right to do that. And so I was like, well, I want to start a boxing program. I can start it at St. Benedict's, very similar to my boxing experience at the Naval Academy. And that'd be a good place to start. I called the headmaster. I didn't have a contract or nothing. He's like, oh, we'll figure it out when you get here. I got in my U-Haul the day. I got my DD-214, which is your paper to out process from the military. Uh-huh. I got in my U-Haul the next day and left to Newark. And I from, got in from North Carolina. Okay. Yep. I turned into a road trip, stayed with some buddies on the way. And then I rode into Newark at like midnight, ended up sleeping on the couch in like the residence hall. I had this giant U-Haul. I mean, I had no, I was just solo dolo out there. Yeah. Um, but it works itself out, right? And it goes back to what we were saying. Some of us create our own future instead of just letting it magically happen. Yeah. Or complaining about complaining. it. Complaining. Yeah. And, and so let's, let's dive into that. So, I mean, you, cause I, I find that amazing. I mean, I, I, and maybe it's the rebellious part of me. Um, I don't know, but I, I love that concept of you getting in the U-Haul, knowing what you want to do. And again, you did it, but let's get into the actual, uh, ironbound boxing because, you know, I listened to the interview of you on the mission and that was, that was very, very cool. I mean, the talking about, um, the thing that had the most impact on me was the fact, the way in which you explained removing all barriers. Yeah, make it easy. And that was, uh, I mean, you gave the example of the kid that's going to get on the bus and travel 45 minutes, and what are you going to do, charge him? I right. Mean, that's, so, I mean, I'll let you expand on, Iron, you know, on the academy and Ironbound Boxing as a whole, because it is a fascinating concept. I always knew I want to have a gym, and mm-hmm. the headmaster was like, I'm working on it, I'm working on it, right? When I get to Newark, there ain't no gym, there's nothing, <laughs> right? I'm like pushing tables and chairs out of the way in the residence hall, but 
But I was coaching kids. I was like, boxing, you know, I'm passionate. I can coach boxing anywhere. I coach boxing in Jackson Hole, at the park, doesn't matter. So I got to Newark, and I started a St. Benedict's Prep boxing team. So mm-hmm. I was just coaching kids, you know, at St. Benedict's. I was driving them to gyms around town, paying for them to train, which is not a good business model because a lot of them don't stick with it. And what ended up happening was the city of Newark created a rec center and put a boxing program in it, a free one. Mm-hmm. And so I started training the kids there. But it was a, quite a bit away from St. Benedict's, so I was only limited by the number of kids I could travel in my car. Um, and words started to get out about boxing. I had more and more kids. Eventually, I was able to partner with the city to get transportation to and from that gym, but it wasn't reliable. So um, after about a year and a half, I approached the city of Newark and said, uh, hey, can you, you know, is there another space somewhere in the city that we can turn into a boxing gym? It's not going to cost you anything. Um, We'll pay for it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And one of the things was I had the St. Benedict's kids, but at the inner city gym, you're training there were other kids in there without coaches and stuff. So I'm like giving them pointers and everything. And sometimes I let them work out and spar with us. And so once we got the space for this new gym, I got the thumbs up in the back of a leaky recreation center on the other side of town in the Ironbound section of Newark um, and was told, hey, would this work? And I was like, heck, yeah. And one of the things I knew was, all right, I had the St. Benedict's boxing team, but there's East Side High School, West Side High School, all these different other schools around town doesn't make sense to kind of have a St. Benedict's boxing gym there. You know, I wanted something that was more inviting, right? Mm-hmm. And so I came up with the idea for the Ironbound Boxing Academy. That way we could serve the broader community. And what it really was just start out as a free amateur boxing program where kids could come train. I never had to pay for boxing. I boxed in college at the Naval Academy. Um, it was an amazing sport. Um, I probably wouldn't have graduated college without it, most likely, um, just because of the support network and the um, just the confidence it built in me. And I wanted to give that to kids in the inner city. And to be quite frank, I knew Newark, New Jersey wasn't a place where they were going to be like, we don't want your boxing here. Yeah. You know, they're like, please help yeah. us with these kids. <laughs> exactly. um, it had some grit, some toughness. Yeah. It's close to New York City. And I also thought I'd be able to trans- do a lot of commute to the New York City boxing scene. Mm-hmm. But once I got in Newark, I realized there's all these kids here. They've already got a boxing scene. A lot of them just didn't have the support system throughout. And so we just started training kids in boxing. I, I don't think kids should pay for boxing. The kids that tend to gravitate towards amateur boxing tend to come from rougher upbringings. They don't have a lot of money. And so for me, it's all about just having skin in the game, right? Yep. So that's where I say, like, man, if a kid, first of all, when parents come to us and they're like, oh, I want my kid to box, da, 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 they'll come for like a day you'll never see them again. Yep. Versus a kid that, like, reaches out to you on Instagram, takes the bus 45 minutes, comes it like he's committed and those kids tend to stay and so that's what we look for we just kind of look for that commitment yeah and the other part that really uh i just thought was amazing when you because i do feel like, like i can relate to the part when you talk about your your spidey senses right and that that's such a cool story i'll, I'll let you tell it but i mean you, you talked about the kid that you're like god he looks he looks kind of hungry i mean yeah, I mean, it's funny. He texted me yesterday. His name's Elvin Alicia. He's just always like, I love you, bro. You're so impactful in my life. And it's real. It makes me feel uncomfortable at times because, like, I'm not a dad, but they look at you. It goes back to what you said. Yeah. If you've never had a positive male figure caring about you, looking out yeah. for you, making sure you're good at all times, right? Whether you feel yourself that or not, that's who you are yeah. in their eyes. And so this kid, his name's Elvin. He came to the boxing gym, really nice guy. 
And uh, one day I'm up there like hanging a heavy bag or something. And Elvin walks in and he asked me if I have any food on me. Um, and I was like, no. I was like, you know what? But hey, if you go get some out of my wallet, get some out the front, you know, out of the vending machine. But then that's when my spidey sense went off. I'm like, yeah. interesting. I was like, let me ask a follow-up question. I was like, hey, man, have you eaten today? Nah, coach. I was like, did you eat yesterday? Nah, coach. It's like, what's going on? You turn out he was homeless. His parents had got evicted. His mom had got evicted out of her home, so they'd been out in the street, so he hadn't eaten. Um, and so, you know, again, I do credit the military with that because when you spend so much time with people, you should pick up on little things, right? Yeah. It shows you. Because in the Marine Corps, hey, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. You walk by a Marine, he doesn't say good morning. Hey, what's going on, Marine? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And you start finding stuff out. So that kind of stuck with me. And then the pattern recognition, running a residence hall, all that other stuff. And so uh, he was homeless. I was able to move him in with me at St. Benedict's, get him in the residence hall. And uh, he took it and ran with it. That's you awesome. You know, went up going to college, uh, was in the Golden Gloves with us that year, made it to the finals. Wow. Now he's working at St. Benedict's. He's working there? Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. So? I, I do think that's, I mean, I'd be interested to hear your take, though, but I, I do... I feel like that's a unique um, skill set or a strength in people that not everyone has. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, the ability for your hackles to go up or your spidey senses to go off and act on it. Um, whereas I've watched other people just walk right by that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to, I don't know. I mean, I think if you know you have it, you got to act on it, A, and then B, you know, explore it further. But I don't know. It's just such a cool story. Excuse me. For me, it's just a lot of pattern recognition. I mean, one of the things going back to what we're talking about, it, it seems like you, you know, people say I do a lot of stuff, but it is true. But it's also speeded up my ability to do things because mm -hmm. I've seen it so much, you know, like when you're living with 70 teenage boys, that's like years of that. You know what I mean? You yeah. can read all the books, all the research, whatever. You can be some think tank writing about urban youth. Yeah. But until you live in a house, with that many kids, yeah. right? It's a complete game changer. Yeah. And so I have all that kind of data. I've been boxing for 15 years at this point, you know? I've been an entrepreneur, launched a lot of stuff, you know? I've been around amazing entrepreneurs, so I'm getting constant kind of pattern recognition. So you're right. That's why I'm able to do things that other people aren't. I mean, I can launch a venture today like yeah. with a laptop, you know, and a Google document, and we yeah. can get going. Um, but that's just because of the repetition. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I just, I think it's pretty, I don't know. It's, it's such a cool story. Um, let's, um, let's talk boxing for a second. Cause, um, do you, do you pay attention to where the state of boxing is today? Or is that not even on your radar? A little bit. I'm not really a biggest fan of professional boxing. Really? Yeah. I mean, for me, that's why I started Ironbound was because I would go into these inner city gyms and kids felt like their only option was to go pro or go back to the streets. And mm -hmm. I was like, dude, we can box and this can be what we do, but we can like go to college, start businesses, work in corporate America. You can do whatever you want. Sure. Like I want boxing to be a launching pad for a lot yeah. of people. And when I look at professional boxing, it confirms my thesis that I see a lot of these old kind of washed up kind of boxers and you dedicate so much of your life to this sport and you don't have anything to really show for it afterwise. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of them struggle with mental health, brain damage, slurred speech, all that other stuff. And I equate that more with the professional side of the house than the amateur side. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I'm like, eh, boxing. Now, I watch a lot of the marquee stuff, mainly highlights. But, like, I rarely, 
I mean, I'm like, I like bootleg, you know, pay-per-views, watching it on like Cameron's Instagram or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. I just want to know who won and yeah. I want to see the highlights. I did see, um, I don't know, I don't even remember where I was, but I did, I think it's Ali's grandson. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was, was pretty impressive. I yeah, mean, that's I, pretty cool. I, I was like, whoa, that is, uh, I also wonder if it's not going to be cyclical, right? Because it kind of faded away into, I wouldn't say it's a, a bad area, but I, I don't know. It's, well, it's I, like MMA kind of came in and swooped over. Well, people it. keep saying that, but the thing, there's something about, I think our history with boxing is just, it's a world sport, right? Yeah. Like boxing will never go away. And you even see with these YouTubers, right? Like YouTubers coming about, like why boxing of all, there's something about boxing, you know? Yeah. Even you look at kids, right? What do they want to do? They want to put on the gloves, right? That's just, there's something about it. And I don't, you know, I don't really care too much. I won't say I don't care about it, but I've heard this conversation since, like, you know, I got into the sport. Yeah. yeah, here we are. And a lot of those UFC guys don't make a lot of money. Yeah. You know, they're, like, living hand to mouth. You don't, right? hear, you don't hear about them. You don't hear about them, yeah. you know, especially when their careers are over. Yeah. So, you know, professional boxing has a lot of work to do. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really entertainment for yeah. people. Um, but I love – I'm a gym guy. Like, I yeah. like six sparring in the gym. I like amateurs. I mean, you – you got to see amateur boxing. A lot of these kids, you got to understand, the kids that tend to come boxing, nobody's telling them at school how great they are because they're not like valedictorians a lot of times. Yep. You know, they're not like, uh, you know, on any other sports teams like basketball or football. So literally, you have a whole group of kids that have no confidence, that nobody's telling them that they're amazing, that they're great, right? And boxing gives them an opportunity to feel like a champion. Yeah. And whether they have one bout or two bout, I mean, you see these kids fighting these amateur shows, you'd think they're, like, fighting for, like, the Olympic gold medal. Yeah, I, uh, I need to see more of that. I also, um, as we're doing this, I, I think it would be cool to do a, I mean, maybe something you and I could do, not to add another thing to your plate, but <laughs> in ironbound fishing Oh, yeah, we can do that. We can definitely do that. Where we, we take some, you know, take the amateurs out here on a fishing trip. So it would be like the opposite. And then on, you know, the reciprocity of it would be we take the fishing guides back to boxing. To boxing. That's a good idea. That could be. That could be sick. You know, I actually told Keith, I was like, I want to take one of my boxers out to Jackson Hole because they don't leave the city, man. Like if they're yeah. not traveling with us, they never really go there. And so as the as, you know, one of the founders of the gym you know they see my instagram and they see where i'm at and all that other stuff it's like exposure yeah you know? yeah and different things yeah and spaces i mean the space thing out here is what i i knew that i wanted right i mean wide open spaces you, you hear that term all the time for my mind it works better i know that with a wide open space um but a lot of people don't get to see that yeah i mean it's amazing i mean even like i don't even want to eat inside out here I'm just like, like, take the food outside. Let's hang out outside. That's how nice it is. Yeah. And it's, we, we, I did a presentation, um, or listened to a presentation, sorry, from a guy that runs Mandarin, um, tours over here. He, He does them in Mandarin and he was explaining to us, you know, why people, um, that come from China won't necessarily look at the mountains. And he's like, because the mountains look crowded to them. Really? Yeah, they, they want to look out at a field yeah. with nothing. Yeah. Just a space, because they don't get to see that. 
It's 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 fascinating. I was telling someone today. I feel I told my team today because I was on with them this morning for a check in. Mm-hmm. I feel like working in this area, and you're inside. God is like punishing you. Yeah, you know, like you're inside. And you're like this. Something feels off. You know, it, it feels wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is not what we're meant to be as humans. Like the sun is glistening outside. I'm stuck in here on this laptop for like eight hours. Like this is not meant to be. Like you yeah. know what I'm saying? I feel like the 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 energy out here lets you know that yeah. like man, you need to you should be outside. You, yeah, exactly because because it's fleeting. Yeah, right. Because it is right now. It is glorious. It here. feels unnatural. Yeah, like if you're in on a screen all day out here, it feels unnatural. Yeah, and you and then you know it right when you go outside and do something. The opposite of that is in the wintertime <laughs> when it gets dark at 4.30 and oh, it's, yeah. you know, negative 10 and, you know, not snowing then. But um, that it tells you to go inside. <laughs> yeah, that's what, Mark, that's what Mark was telling me. He's like, it gets rough out here in the winter. It is. It's really rough. But that's exactly to your point. Like right now, you, you get it. Like yeah. get outside. Yeah. Um, and then even in the winter, you got to. You got to get outside, or else you. I mean, it's go. beautiful. I mean, even um, where where our our buddy Mark Fisher lives, his front porch is gorgeous. Yeah. You stand out on the front porch, you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, and it's like, damn, I get it. This is what y'all do. Y'all work, and then y'all get off work and you go hiking, or you go skiing for lunch, or uh, you do whatever. Like it's, I I see the attractiveness of moving to a place like this. Yeah, it's um, well, we should do. We should look into that. Um, so you did not box in high school. I did not box in high school. I was on the, I'll tell you what I did in high school. First of all, I had no girlfriend because I had no confidence. (laughs) Second thing was I played high school basketball, but like I wasn't getting in the game unless there were up like a thousand points and it was like less than three minutes. So, but I, I look back on those days, like, and I think to myself, you know how hard it was? to do basketball sprints and show up even though you're not going to get in the game ever. And I think that's where a lot of my work ethic comes from because I got to practice that crap, the delayed gratification. I mean, there was really no gratification on that except really kind of being part of the team. But the work ethic, um, I think I developed, I kind of took it and ran with it. And so when I got to boxing, and boxing is – this is what separates boxing from, from other sports, right? You think about a guy like Muhammad Ali. And the impact he's had on the world, not even in America. Yeah, the world. You walk into his boxing gym, it's like a heavy bag, a ring. Gyms are nasty and grungy. There's nothing special about them. And that can make the goat, you know? Yeah. And to me, that's the power of it. Like, you know, you know, in business, everybody talks about apps and this and da 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 <laughs> You can have all that stuff. Yeah. And you will never be Muhammad Ali. You know, like they said it is high. Dude, Muhammad Ali couldn't even go anywhere, right? Because he would just have flocks of people just yeah. kind of falling. He was larger than life. And so the basic, basic, basicness of it and his story is what I love about boxing. The idea that like a kid can walk in with nothing and come out a champion. Yeah. And, and you don't need, right? Yeah. You don't need anything. I mean, you, you, we could turn this into a box, you know, I mean. It's, um, but, but that's back to your story. That's wild. I mean, at least from where I sit, excuse me, to not box in high school, to go to the Naval Academy, start boxing and then have that much success that quickly. Like that's unheard of. So, so how did, I mean, how did that happen? I mean, you, 
All right, yeah. let me put it like this. This is what I'll tell you. So when I decided I want to go to Naval Academy, I was really out of shape. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I needed to lose a lot of weight. I think in my high school, I got up to like 205 or something. No muscle, whatever. So I joined the cross-country team. I came in dead last every race. <laughs> but by the end of the season, I was down like 30 points. I mean 30 pounds, whatever. So that's kind of just been my mentality, right? Why am I part of the Lions Pride? Because I want to win yeah. in life and business. Put me in a room with the people that are winning. That's yeah. what I want. And so in boxing, it was the same thing. It was like, I want to be a great boxer. Cool. I need to learn how to fucking hold my own wherever I go. Yep. So when I was going on Christmas break, uh, um, Thanksgiving break, summers, I was spending time in inner city gyms, sparring and training. When I came home for the summer in Texas, I went to this little beat up boxing gym in Texas, got my butt handed to me. But when I went back to Annapolis, you know, I was one of the top guys. And so it was really that. It was about putting myself in positions to succeed and just working, Yeah, you know. Um, and I don't know. Boxing just kind of made sense to me. Like fly fishing makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Boxing makes sense to me. And you've told me this in the past, but I've asked you, like, who is your hardest fight? Yeah. And you said it was yourself. Yeah. Um, but in knowing that now, there had to be some good fights. Yeah, there were. Um, there was this one guy named Sam Greenwood. I'll never forget. So I'm like, <laughs> so this is boxing for you. This is life. <laughs> so I go to regionals my first year, my freshman year, right? And I make it to the finals, and I knock the guy out in the first round, the first round of finals. It got stopped. And I see this kid from the Citadel. Now, mind you, I got like a nice Navy boxing uniform, nice shoes, whatever. This Citadel's kid, his uniform looks goofy as hell. You know, shorts above the knees, like super high. (laughs) His shoes look beat up. And I'm like, oh, I'm about to destroy this guy. He gives me a standing eight count in the first round, (laughs) you know. And uh, he beat me, right? Yeah. I go to nationals that year. I don't make it to the finals. Um, The next year, I go to regionals. I fought that kid two times that year. He beat me both times. But that year, I won my first national championship. So the guy I beat in the national championship was the guy um, he uh, lost to. Okay. Right? So I'm national champ. I Technically, I don't feel like it because I didn't beat this kid. Yeah. Right? He's haunting you. He's ha- it's haunting me. Yeah. So I come back the next year, right out the gate. I fight this kid. I fought him in regionals after already winning the national championship, and I lose to him. Right? So... Now, technically, I'm going into nationals, not the number one seed. So I literally have fought this kid five times, and he beat me all five times. Oh, wow. Right? We get to the nationals, and me and him square off for the finals. Oh, wow. For the sixth time, right? My coach is basically like, oh, this kid's already beat Stedman like five times, whatever. He's, you know, whatever. But I was just like, man, I had done it my way. I had tried it this way, and it wasn't working. And I think I was scared. Mm-hmm. Right, because he, he hit hard. I was trying to go toe to toe with him, it never happened. So I was like, "Screw it, man! I'm about to beat him this time." And I let my hands down. So I boxed him with my hands down. Oh wow, that like was Ali. the adjustment. Yeah, that was like the adjustment, right? And I just went, I went for it, man. And it was in University of Maryland, you know, just up the street from the Naval Academy. All my classmates and stuff were there, um, and I went for it, and I won. And it was one of those things too, where I won, where it was like it was a hard fight. I mean, three hard rounds. Standing ovation at the end, everything, et cetera. But it's one of those things where, like, I knew I won before I had my head raised because yeah. I had done the work. I was like, you know, so when I when you see my head raised, I actually see my head kind of nodding. Yeah. 
Um, but he was the toughest fight by far. That's cool. And you were also most valuable boxer several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and were you always at 175, like the light? All four years. Okay. I'm not 175 pounds now. <laughs> not out here in Jackson Hole, man. I went. Mark took me to that uh, the the Northern Thai spot. Oh yeah. Uh, oh man, it's amazing. Like Teton Thai. Yeah, it's right there under his building. That little spot right there. Oh, oh uh, that's Chiang Mai. Chiang Victor. Mai. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm gonna go back there again. Yeah, it's excellent. It's excellent. Yeah, and that's um, yeah, Northern Thai. Sorry, I, I thought you were talking about like in the town. Yeah, and um, it, you guys drink out here. Y'all drink beer. Y'all hang out. I'm like. <laughs> Gosh, I'm going to go back so bloated. <laughs> yeah, fishing town with a drinking problem. Um, or maybe it's the opposite. But um, the um, it seems to me like throughout your all of these endeavors that the military has played a very strong role in kind of fanning out into all different... I mean, is that, am I, is that correct? You are correct, but here's the interesting thing. When I left the military, I did not want to have anything to do with it, to be honest. Because of why? Um, I wanted a different identity. It was very hard being a, a black infantry officer in the Marines. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't without his fair share of setbacks. Um, you're one of one, like 99% of the time. Yep. Um, and they have their own culture in there, which is not necessarily my culture. Um, and so I felt suffocated. You know, and that was mm-hmm. also one of the reasons I wanted to get out was because I wanted to, and it's I guess this ties into Newark too. I just wanted to feel agency, you know. Like I feel like you and here in Jackson Hole, you fit, it fits you. There's outdoors, you know. You can do go fly fishing, the culture, right? Imagine if somebody put you in an urban environment where there's like no outdoors. Yep. You know, you can't go fly fishing. The culture is different. They don't even care about outdoors. And for me, that's how it felt when I was in an environment where. There wasn't a lot of color. There just wasn't any agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and people could never understand how you think about things or there was not a lot of empathy. Um, and so one of the things I really appreciate about Newark, I feel like Newark has given me agency again. Sure. This idea that like, man, I can just let my guard down. You know, like I'm an entrepreneur. You see me. I'm wearing an Ironbound hoodie. Yeah. I got my Fisher Creative snapback on. Yeah. You know, and I'm a professional. Yeah. You know, um, and the image of professional for the longest times was opposite of that True. opposite of people that look like me. And so a lot of times, right? Like they, what is the image of the successful businessman, you know, button down shirt on yep. da, 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 da. like, no, that's just not my personality. And so, um, the Marine Corps is that on like crack. Yep. <laughs> that's what it basically is. It's like the most organized, you know, professional, you know, you name it. And mm-hmm. I did this cultural kind of index thing with the Lions Pride where they tell you kind of like, um, it's like a, a, a personality assessment. Mike, I bottom out at conformity. Really? I li- I'm literally a zero at conformity. And so that's probably why the Marine Corps um, didn't sit well with me. And then my experiences as kind of a black officer. But here was the thing. Once I became an entrepreneur and I did that first program at Stanford, it's called Stanford Ignite mm-hmm. in 2017. And that was focused purely on entrepreneurship for veterans, four weeks. We went out there, et cetera. That's exposed me to a different side of the community. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, I can hang around. Like, I don't want to talk about war and stuff. I was like, but I can hang around veterans and talk about entrepreneurship. I was like, this is pretty cool. And that community, honestly, is why I'm where I'm at today. Because 
the veteran entrepreneurial community has like stood up Ironbound Boxing and Ironbound Media, you know, to be honest. So, you know, again, just growth. Yeah. And do you feel like let's because what you're seven years removed from the military? It's it's, now you're making me feel old. But yes, (laughs) I got out in 2015. Do you feel like that original suffocation that you felt? And then now with all the exposure you've had to until today that you look at it differently now than you did when you left? Um, I have learned to be magnanimous because a lot of bad things happened to me in the Marine Corps, too. Okay. Um, They don't have the best track record with black officers, let alone black infantry officers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like you find yourself you're up against it. And like, yeah, here's how I'm going to equate it. Right. Okay. I get appreciated more as a veteran than I ever did as an officer in the military. You get what I'm saying? When you were in the military. When I was in the military. Okay. So, and it might just be environment, you know, but basically in the Marine Corps, I was made to feel like a low performer, Mm -hmm. you know, but in the civilian world, I'm made to feel the exact opposite. Everyone thanks you for your (laughs) service. Yeah. Not even just thank you for your service, but just like, man, you're killing it. You're sharp. You need to talk to him. Yeah. But when you're in the Marine Corps, like nobody's really, you're nothing, you know, hmm. like yeah. um, you're ranked lower than everybody and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I think that's what hurts a lot of minorities, really, because um, and it goes back to agency. Right. So you take a kid from Newark. Right. You build him up, build up his confidence. You get him out. Right. You send that kid to college. Right. He graduates top of his class or whatever. And then you put him in an environment where he's like one of one, yep. okay? And they don't have a track record. Let's think about like a corporate America setting. You send this kid to corporate America in a company where he's the only black guy in the company, okay? There's no real leadership at the high level and stuff, et cetera. And that kid bottoms out or mm-hmm. does not perform or whatever. What do you think that does to his confidence? It shatters. You shatters it, yeah. you know? And so for me, it's like, man, we got to cultivate, like, Last time I checked, you know, black America, we don't got the most wins all the time, you know, <laughs> particularly for like young black males. Right. So, you know, to come out of an environment like a Naval Academy, you know, and have my fucking confidence shot in the Marine Corps yeah. and have to build it back up again. You know, I kind of took it personal, mm-hmm. you know. And so now, you know, I kind of built my confidence up to a level. But like not everyone is like that. You got a lot of black officers that are hiding. They're still licking their wounds, you know? They don't want to go public because of how they're going to be perceived. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. They're like, oh, he was a piece of shit in the Marine Corps. Now look at him, you know? Yeah. So they don't even want to mention their service. So they just kind of hide in the shadows. Yeah. You know, and I think what I do with my platforms, whether it's Confessions of a Native Son or The Transition or writing this book, whatever, I do think I invite a lot of them to come out the shadows. I'm like, bro, stop licking your wounds. It happened. Yeah. Move forward. Let's go. Yeah, and those are, you know, it's it's hard for me to relate to, mm-hmm. right? But I think if I hear what you're saying, that for you, Annapolis was a very good experience. Correct. The deployment, not not as much. You're going to stay in the middle on that one. Correct. Um, but I can see how cool it is, how cool it must be for you to now be giving these platforms, like, stop hiding. Correct. Come on out. And what I meant for the magnanimous piece was... You know, stuff happened in the Marine Corps. I'll give you an example. I got to my unit, and they shipped me to the rifle range right off the bat, which is they don't do that, you know, with a lot of officers, right? Mm-hmm. So that basically says, hey, you passed your school, but we don't want you to 
you know, uh, serve here, you, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if they do this in, maybe they do it in corporate America, but like you show up to a job, whatever, and go they put to, you go in to this, the mailroom. Yeah, it was like that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The guy in office space, you know, <laughs> like that was me, you know. So talk about killing your confidence and the yeah. way they did it, right, was another thing. But like now, I'm just like, so what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what can I, it happened, right? And do you dwell on it? And a lot of times I forget about those things because I'm just so focused on the things that like I can't control. Yeah. You know? But like, could I put my thumb in people's eye? You know, well, now I made it and you didn't help me and da 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 da. But like, to what end? That's just negative energy for me. Yeah, what does and it so do? That's why I say I've learned to be magnanimous yeah. and forgive. And, you know, people always ask me, they're like, what advice would you give to yourself like 10 years ago or whatever? And I would say to forgive myself because, I mean, you look at the shit show Afghanistan was on the pullout, right? Yeah. Part of the military's challenge, and I think we veterans struggle with it if we don't know any better, the military teaches you that you can always win, that there is somehow this kind of mission accomplishment. Mm -hmm. So what happens if you get put in a situation where there is no winning? Yeah. You know, You're it's lost. not really defined. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think we we understand the gravity of the situations that we are put in. And we I mean, I was a Marine infantry officer in Afghanistan. Yeah. Like the federal government didn't have it figured out. How am I supposed to have it figured out? You know? Yeah. And so you learn to forgive yourself for decisions and things you made in combat. You know, some good decisions, some bad decisions. But you're like, you know what? I was like 23 years old, yeah. 24 years old. In a really hard situation. It's like, let it go, Mike. You know? Yeah. Figure it out and move on. And I equate this too for our entrepreneurs out there. Like, yo, I just had this conversation with an entrepreneur. He had a great retail business, was killing it in Atlanta, had their best year yet before the pandemic. And they went from making like, I don't know, uh, like $2 million a year. Or they make, went from making like uh, $200,000 a month to like $200. <laughs> Not sustainable. Right. Yep. Business. He had to he got out, oh, wow. you know, he had to default and all this other stuff. And I had to tell him, like, bro, I know you think you're an amazing entrepreneur and you are. But this situation is not your fault. You know, the market's not there. Yeah. Right. And you got crushed by it. But if you're the veteran mission, you know, there's a way to figure it out. There's a way we're going to do. It. We're going to do it. Right. Yeah. You can always figure it out. There's some things in life that like they're just not, you just can't win. Yeah. You know. All you can do is control how you perceive it. That's the winning. It's the it's what you could control. It's less about the actual outcome. And yeah. so for veterans, I think we're put in situations where we think we can win, right? Because that's the machine needs you to think that you can win without understanding the gravity, the real gravity of what you're in. You know? Yeah. And in those failures, right? Sifting through the bullshit and figuring out what is relevant to moving forward and what is not. Right. And I, I think imagine. I even think about like, you know, you asked me about the book, right? I am so arrogant that I thought I could write a book while going to being at the Stanford Fellowship, <laughs> while running you know, you get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And then when you get up against it and it's hard, you're like, man, I suck at life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, negative thoughts are right. sticky. But I then mean. you realize like, yo, these are Grandiose, I'm making a word up, grandiosious or whatever. Like, yeah. these are big, hard things. These are not easy things. Running a business, running a nonprofit, writing a book, right? Yeah, they're hard. There's a reason people don't do them. 
Yeah. You know, and realizing the gravity of like, oh, wow, not only are they hard, but I stacked all these on top of each other. Yeah, but I, I do, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do get the sense that you have a, and, and I had to learn this the hard way because I think I made a bunch of mistakes of it though, but you, it, it, it's very challenging at times to take the time to just do a comparison of where you were and where you are. And that always seems to, I mean, I used to get frustrated trying to run the business and then um, would just be like, just hold on a second, like go back 10 years. And it's like, holy shit, we've done a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, but you seem to have that perspective, right? I mean, you're what, mo- what's the term, um, you know, we drastically overestimate what we can do in three months and drastically underestimate what we can do in like three years. Yeah. And you're right. I'm doing stuff now. I mean, I'm in Jackson Hole. I'm at your studio. Yeah. You know. You got this thing going. The stuff I've been able to do, I would have never imagined. Not even like two years ago. That's you know? awesome. And you're right. Like you got to, you do have to. Um, smell the roses. Smell <laughs> another the roses. One of those, another one of those sayings that uh, is true. I'll tell you what. I, is this is this weird? I don't really look at a lot of old pictures. You know, sometimes like you carry these huge files of photos and stuff, and I'm sure it's helpful for like sharing kid to your kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like, man, part of me is also create new memories. Yeah. You know, and I also want to, I don't know, sometimes you feel like you're looking back instead of looking forward. Yeah. And it's amazing how, well, I mean, it's all different now, right? That we've got a computer, a boom box, and a, you know, phone and a, yeah. you know, mailbox all in our pocket. Um, so it's a little different in that sense technologically, but at the same time, like I have zero pictures of my dark days. Yeah. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> no one wants those. You do not want to remember those. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, um, let's move on to, uh, entrepreneurship because that is where I, you know, I see you light up the yeah. most, I would say of anything that you and I have been able to talk about, um, and I love the fact that you acknowledge the loneliness of the entrepreneur because someone will say to me occasionally, like, well, how's the podcast going? I'll be like, at times it's great. At other times I'm sitting by myself wondering what the fuck am I doing this for? Right. And that's hard. Um, and it's lonely. But you, uh, you seem to have a good grasp on that. What, uh, how would you explain that concept? I've heard you say it in a couple interviews. So... No one, I was talking to Fisher about this this morning. When you're an entrepreneur, you're living with stuff that other people aren't living with, right? Like, I remember when I was working, I never worried about whether I was going to get paid or not. Like, it's just, it happens, right? Like, yeah. every two weeks or every month, you're <laughs> getting paid, right? You're an entrepreneur, it's like, bro, if I don't hunt, I'm not eating. Yeah. You know? And I remember when I first quit my job, right? And I was always the entrepreneur. I was doing entrepreneurial things when I started Ironbound. But when I quit my job, I and remember this is the job at St. Benedict's yeah. to go full time. Yeah. And at the time, I was trying to stand up a for-profit arm of Ironbound teaching boxing to companies in New York City. I couldn't even sleep. I was so nervous. I remember waking up at like 5 o'clock, jumping out of bed like, I got to get after it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I could just see my bank account going down, 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 <laughs> down, down. And you know how in, uh, uh, what's his name's book? Um, uh, who's the author? Stephen King? Yeah, yeah on, on, writing. on writing. He talks yeah. about the muse. Yeah. You know, for the entrepreneur, the muse is this guy that stands over you and lets you know you're broke. Right? 
<laughs> like that there's no money left, yeah. you know? And he's just, he's breathing down your neck. And yeah. so when COVID happened, you know, he was right there. You're like going yeah. after it. But it's lonely because it's hard for you to, I don't know, you just feel, you feel this weird connection with the world. Does that make sense? Like yeah. you feel vulnerable. Exposed. You feel exposed. Yeah. And you don't feel that when you're working a normal job. Right? Yeah, because like you said, other people are picking up those pieces. Yeah, and when you're an entrepreneur, you have to create things from scratch, which is interesting. I think it's why I light up about entrepreneurship in a way that I light up about boxing because it's the same thing, that story I told you with Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. right? Like what is entrepreneurship? You don't need it. You can create value out of thin air, Yeah. right? And I didn't believe that. You know, I always thought, oh, you got to have venture capital. You got to have all this other stuff. But until I did it, Mm-hmm. And I see other people do it, and now it's like that Roger Bannister moment. It's like nobody thought it was possible to break the four-minute mile till Roger Bannister did it. Yeah. And then, like, after trying to do it for, like, hundreds of years, and then, the, the you know, after he does it three months later, like, six more people do it. And yeah. then a hundred people do it, et cetera. And so that's really the power of, like, entrepreneurship. But, I mean, you live with your thoughts, right? You care about your client, how you're going to be perceived, you know? Are you confident? Can you deliver the value that you promise? You know, if you can't, are you on the hook? How are you going to pay it? You know, when COVID happens or life happens, right, you're living with it. And so it's super lonely. And you, I feel like you bring yourself into your business, too. Yeah. You know, and that's the other thing, too. It's like, damn, I suck at life. <laughs> now you're going <laughs> to. Hey, no. so your podcast had me dying when you had the guy from the Mangy Moose, the brand manager. Noah. Uh, Noah Robertson. Yeah. And he's like, you're just out there. Hanging on a vine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was exactly. dying because yeah, that's what it's like. Yeah, he was trying to learn about alcohol. Yeah, like, I mean, completely new thing for him. You just know? out here in the wild, yeah, all exposed. <laughs> you know, it's just it's a different life. Yeah, it's um, and it's new to me, right? Because I did have those pieces, but it's uh, I I, I love hearing you you describe that because um, it's important. Because if you, I mean, I didn't, you know. It's at least important to acknowledge it because it's just like you said, you can't, you can't see the photo of the mountain and it's not going to be the same unless you climb it. You're not going to know that feeling of loneliness unless you put yourself in the situation. It's good to know that it's going to happen. I mean, same with the struggle, you know, the rest of it. But It's like writing a fiction novel. That's yeah. what it is. Every day you build your business, you're writing a fiction novel Yeah, because it doesn't exist yet. You're having to put it on paper and you have to do all this world building that literally doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's what I have learned now of like everything we have, the studio, all this stuff was created literally out of thin air. Like there was no playbook for the way you podcast. Yeah. You know, your intros, right? That's your playbook. You created that. And that's what we're doing. And so, again, it's like you have to think so much and people aren't always privy to the ideas in our head that we're trying to will into existence. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny because for me, it always goes back to, you know, it always, I always try to, I always relate it to permit fishing because that's what I think about the most. And it's like, you just, you need to stay consistent and you need to push forward and um, you're going to feel good about it sometimes. And, and maybe, you know, at least for me, I'm, I'm talking about the podcast, but I mean, it's, it's to say it's been without struggle would be a lie. No. Um, but here we are. So, it's happening. I think it's good to, to, you know, when I was writing that intro to look back a year ago and I, you know, I'm going through iterations of a logo that didn't even, you know, come around. Um, where, 
where do you see yourself in 10 years? So this is a great conversation I have right now. I do not want to build a big business. I don't want to be responsible for people. Um, I've done it in the military, you know. Mm-hmm. I did it at St. Benedict's. I've done it at Ironbound. I want to have a small elite team and work on projects and work with people that I'm passionate about. So I kind of see myself as business coach, mm-hmm. generating enough margin through my business where I'm also able to invest in ideas that I want to do. Yeah. So if my cousin or me wants to start a new podcast, boom, here, set it up. Or I want to write a book, boom, I could pay for that, right? Digital kind of products yep. um, or digital businesses. I basically want to increase my ability to create more impact. And I think um, one of the ways I can do that is through helping more entrepreneurs win. Yeah. You know, because for me, winning is more just freedom. I just like having freedom. You yeah. know, I was like, I told my team I was coming down here. I was like, hey, see if I can hang out with Mike Dawes while we're down there um, and record a podcast or something. And it just worked out. But like, I got the freedom to do that. And it's nice. And so that's really what I want to do. And so that's why I say I want to read, write, and podcast because I just want to think. Yeah. I just want to think. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to share what I'm learning to help other people think, learn, and grow. Um, and I think I can do that through podcast and coaching, you know, or, and yeah. I say that now, but who knows, maybe I yeah. go on some trip and I'm like, Hey, this is what I want to do now. Yeah. You never yeah. know. But, but it's, I think it's important to think about. Yeah. I mean, you, and you, I, I've never heard someone answer it. So, I mean, you've definitely thought about it. That's what were you going to say? I was going to say, so I didn't even, you know, when I knew I was starting a podcast business, when I did that mission interview, they didn't have a setup like this. She just had a, she put her little thing out her, uh, her, her her backpack. Yeah. It was a microphone, little hand mixer. I was like, that's it? She was like, yeah, that's it. I was like, I'm in the wrong business. I was like, I want to do that. What's amazing, too, is how professional that sounds. It sounds. Dude, she had like, it was just a microphone that she was carrying around in her backpack. And then, yeah, I actually didn't get the time to like research what that podcast was about. But I got, I mean, the her it was like she was full-blown storytelling mode with you being injected and then the interview i don't know it's cool they did it in like pieces but in terms of her coming to capture the audio from me yeah it was like the most basic thing in the world and that's like an award-winning podcast agency it is so when i saw i mean i tell for y'all that don't know mike's dawes's podcast was like the fastest growing podcast i about (laughs) media you know i've seen clients that like have followings and social and all this other stuff and they still didn't get the speed in which you launch your show. I mean, you well, launch your show, you had like 200 downloads like the first day. It's like, what's going on here? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And that's you, uh, you coaching me through it. Um, on the, uh, on the uh, entrepreneurship front, as I heard you say one time that you, in, an, in another interview, I think, um, that you have accomplished every goal you have set out to do yeah and what, what do you attribute that to um and I, and you seem to be wildly resourceful i don't that's a nobody's ever asked me that question definitely my upbringing you know i had a great supportive family but i just don't think i'm scared to dream and i think a lot of people are scared to dream yeah. i also think people are scared to take action on their dreams versus me i'm like not really risk averse mm-hmm um, and I think you can see that with boxing, right? Like my first boxing match, I lost in 30 seconds <laughs> in front of my entire Naval Academy class, yeah. you know, like the first month in school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So it's like super embarrassing. 
But think about that. You're like naked in the ring. And yeah. so just getting comfortable doing that. But, you know, like for me, it was like I want to be a national champ. I want to go to Naval Academy. Boom. I won the Naval Academy. I want to be a national boxing champ. Boom. I was three-time national boxing champ. I want to be an infantry officer. Boom. So it is kind of super humbling, right, to be able to accomplish that. But then here's the aha. A lot of people peak because they accomplish everything that they set out to early on. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to, com- you know. It's Keep one it thing to do it in that bubble of, like, the academy and stuff, et cetera. But then it's like, how do you compete in the real world you know how do you stand out from the crowd in the real world and that's where a lot of people struggle um, i think that's where the podcasting writing reading correct comes in correct um but yeah man i just i don't think i'm afraid first of all i take a lot of l's too so like the big goals i set out to do i have accomplished them right but like little goals where i'm like less interested I mean, I take L's all the time. I throw stuff at the wall all the time. Yeah. But what's happened more lately, which is why I'm in the predicament where I'm at now, is like I keep throwing stuff at the wall and it keeps sticking. And so at a certain point, you got to say, hey, do I want to keep doing this or I want to kind of do something else? Yeah. And um, I think what's interesting, well, it's a good transition. I was going to ask you what you're reading currently, but I'm reading this book, Grit. I don't know if you've read it. Angela Duckworth? Yeah. Yeah, I read it. Yeah. So, so when she talks about pay attention to the stuff that doesn't stick, yeah, they're low level, right? Yeah. I mean, that's when you're saying you've let you didn't care about them as much, correct? Right. But the the high level goals, you've nailed them. So, the book I'm reading now, I got to stop reading so many business books, but it's called The Business of Expertise. Mm -hmm. I think his name is David C. Baker, and one of the reasons because I want to go for that, like. Mike, I'm trying to go for craftsman entrepreneurship. Yeah. You know, that kind of, it's less about the particular venture, but like entrepreneurship as a craft, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways I want to stand out is through expertise, right? That deep, intimate knowledge, that pattern recognition. And so what does it take to be seen as an expert? Um, and, you know, it takes writing. It takes publishing. It takes yeah, researching. It does. You know, because that's just, you know, people have to view you as an authority, and one of the ways they view you as an authority is your ability to create real value through helping other people, yeah. whether that's helping them with podcasts, you know, or writing stuff, et cetera. Right. However, these are just mediums that we use to help people. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm going for. Like, I want to be the I as of right now. I want to be the number one brand strategist for veteran owned businesses. So, like, if you're a veteran. And you're like, I want to start a business and I'm struggling with Brandon. I want them to be like, you need to talk to Mike. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, it also kind of pisses me off, though, that like the, the in a way, right, that the book thing has. I, I don't know. It, it, I hear what you're saying because I've felt that as well. It's like if you want to be, well, did you write a book? And it's right. like, Well, no, but I've. I've lived plenty, you know what I mean? But I don't know, because I guess what I'm trying to say is there's plenty of people that should be heard and should be viewed as experts that don't necessarily have written a book yet. But it is it is what it is. And I'm not right complaining about it. It's not going to do anything. But here's um, a cool thing. Right. Remember, like there are no rules in audio. Yeah. Like Peter Drucker is like great as like one of the number one management thinkers in the world. He wrote like 30 books. Right. Mm-hmm. Seth Godin wrote like 30 books, too. I wonder if Peter Drucker was alive today, if he would have 30 books or 30 different podcasts. Yeah, it's a good you know? question. And for us, it's like, again, the market tells us whether or not we're an authority. And what it really comes down to is portfolio. Yeah. Like, do the work. There's a really, do you know who Mike Tomlin is? 
You mean the coach? The coach of the Pittsburgh oh, Steelers. Yeah. Absolutely. He just he did a podcast with this group called The Pivot, right? That's a sports podcast, etc. Yeah. I'm blown away by that podcast. Because Mike to, Tomlin, to to he's a, you know, he's a gem. He's one of like two black coaches in the NFL. He's been doing it for like seven years at this point, right? Longer. Very longer. Yeah. Super highly respected. Consistent. Consistent. Bro, his mentality when it comes to winning it is like off the grip. Really? Like he doesn't get caught up in all the nonsense and the BS. He's like, he knows what it is. He's like, our sport is football. Our business is winning. Yeah. Cameron would know. How how uh, how many years has Tomlin coached? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's special. But you hear his mentality. now, And it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. Racism. Da-da-da, da-da-da. Bro, he did not bring that up. He barely touches it. Yeah. You know? And an old me would look at somebody like that. Man, like, you sell out. Why you not? You know, whatever. <laughs> but now I just understand yeah. the mentality it takes to operate at a high level. Yeah, that anything that takes you from that is like a distraction. That's very well put. It, yeah, I, I'm gonna listen to that. Yeah, it's a sick real, episode. real quick. It's a sick episode. All right. Well, I gave you a heads up on this, and um, and I've been doing that recently because too many people were caught off guard, and maybe CJ was editing too much. But who is one of the most interesting person you've ever met, and why? Or just, just one of them? I know you've probably met a ton. He's a person that is an entrepreneur that has a good home life, takes care of his wife and his kids, um, is still able to get it done in business and get it done at home. Um, and I feel like I don't know if it's just one person, mm-hmm. right? That's what Those are who I'm fascinated by. Yeah. When I find somebody that is able to, it seems like, like you said, there's a lot going on, but they're still able to take care of that home front yep. and be in shape, you know, work out. That's who I'm interested in. Yeah. I'm like, I want to learn about like the balance, the balance, not even yeah. more so balance, just more about how you're, I don't really think there is balance. Right. I got to take, I got to talk to um General Mattis. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if y'all know who General Mattis was. I don't. He was the, uh, say yeah, mad dog. Okay. He was a Secretary of Defense at one point under uh, President Trump. Highly respected Marine General in the Marine Corps. And he's like, dude, balance? He's like, leaders don't get to have balance, basically is what he's getting <laughs> at. You know, and he's talking about how he meets these, you know, executives, and they say, we want this, we want to have a family at home, we want this. He's like, you're probably in the wrong business. Really? It's not for you. But for me, it's just, I just like people winning at life in yeah. their own way, you know? And if they are writing or podcasting or whatever, I'm like genuinely curious. Yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily like one person. Mm-hmm. It's more about the traits and characteristics that that person has. Yeah. That makes me interested and makes me want to pull back more. I'm like, tell me about your morning routine. Like people think like as a podcaster, they're like, oh, who do you listen to? Do you listen to Tim Ferriss and all this other stuff? I'm like, dude, I listen to like Mike Dawes. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I listen to people that are like two to three steps ahead of me. Yeah. That's another thing, right? If somebody is where I want to be in life and they're, Two or three, that automatically makes them like super interested in me because I want to yeah. know how they got to where they are, what lessons they learned along the way, what advice they would share, and the power of these platforms. I can listen to people's back catalogs yeah. and follow their journey to get there. And so that's really, at least right now, that's what I'm gravitating towards are people that are doing dope things that I aspire to do myself. 
Yeah. Um, and how they're able to do it, whether it's in business or at the home front or physical fitness, stuff, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing about this, right? I mean, it's, it's media in perpetuity. And that's, that's kind of what sold me on it, right? I mean, because my kids, hopefully, as I've said in the past, someday will want to know more about people that have impacted my life. And it's all there. I'm going to blow your mind on something, yeah. right? Everyone chases this eternity. They want to be remembered for eternity, whatever. You start thinking about it, you get older. Dude, the only thing that's eternal are the stories. Yeah. Right? And how they're passed along. Writing up until podcasting and audio Writing was the only way to like be eternal. Yeah. You know, because we still talk about people that passed hundreds of years ago and we're still sharing their thoughts in their books. Yeah. What happens when we're no longer here and the world has our back catalog? Yeah. You know, it's amazing because I mean, I, you know, I, there's not too many that I would really, I mean, I would, I would definitely browse, but I mean, if, you know, if, if we had a negotiation right now and you were like, I have your father's back catalog. Right. Right. I'm I'm going broke paying for that thing. And think about how intimate it is. Yeah. Especially these kind of shows, the solo episodes, where it's like you you have these headphones in and it's literally like they're talking to you. Yeah. You know? And it's, I think that's powerful. It is. It is. And thank you for uh getting me into it. And thank you for trusting us with your podcast. Yeah. Man. Man. Uh, I, we gotta cherish it. I mean, y'all can't see his studio. He's got this sick Yeti cooler, he's got this beautiful logo. <laughs> It's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your coaching. Thanks for your inspiration. Everything you do. I think, um, I think it's amazing. I don't know how you hand you, you, you juggle it all, but you're, you're doing a hell of a job. So appreciate it. Appreciate it. What's your vision for permit to think? Uh, we're, I'm doing it right now. It's rolling. Yeah. So, so my vision is, um, to stick to the cores and I have, you know, my cores are in person. Yep. Um, and plenty of people have told me I'm crazy for doing that. I'm going to stick to 24 a year. Plenty of people have told me, yo, Mike Dawes is rolling. Mike, <laughs> Mike Dawes goes, goes for like three months. And then all of a sudden it's like, yo, we just got four episodes from Mike Dawes. <laughs> my man is getting into it. So, um, and I just, I want to keep it, um, authentic and i i find myself at times trying to how could i how could i get it out there more how could i be and it's like that's not it that's not what i'm looking to do what i'm looking to do is it, we're you and i are doing it right now right right i just got to sit down with you for whatever it is hour and a half two hours and um that's fulfilling to me and i know that permit to think is not just a podcast it's an experience like i feel it the experience of being in here you know podding with you the, getting the Getty gift and everything, seeing your logo, right? This is, you're creating an experience, you know? Um, and, and that's what it is. And again, you're not competing. There is no competition. No one else can do what you do here with this show. Well, and you had that impact when I asked you originally about the fight. And you're like, the fight's with myself. And yeah. I was like, and then you gave me a couple of books that I read and I was like, God damn it, that's, that's so true. Yeah, just podcast, just go. We'll get yeah, better. and just just being consistent. Well, again, I really, I really can't thank you enough. I appreciate the time. Um, to find out more information about Iron Mike, head on over to ironboundmedia.com and on Instagram at Iron Mike Stedman. And to purchase Mike's book on pre-order, you can go to the link in his bio on Instagram. Anywhere else? People can reach you. It will 
yeah, just reach out to me on LinkedIn, Iron Mike Stedman. Um, email Mike at ironbound.com. I'm not hard to find. If you want to get a hold of me, just oh, reach he's out, out to there. Mike. He's out there. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, man. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Permit to Think. My hope is this podcast offers meaningful stories and conversations from the fringe of societal norms. Be sure to subscribe and support the podcast by leaving a review, five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you use. Head on over to the website, permittothink.com, and also forward this on to anyone who you feel might abide. Out. Thanks, man. Dude, this studio is